Thank you, choir. Let's pray together. Lord, that is our, our cry, that is our song this morning, that we want to praise you, and we are so thankful for these voices that were lifted up, that just reminded us of your goodness and how you oversee all things, that you're sovereign over this world, whether it be the fish of the sea or mankind, but that you're involved in your creation. And Lord, I pray as we dive into your word just now that you would use it to change our hearts, to, to focus our attention on you, reveal the areas of our lives that perhaps we have not uh, surrendered to you. And Lord, help us to see the way forward, that we may walk by faith in who you are, what you've done, and what you are doing. And that is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you survey people and you ask them, what do you most want? I think most people would probably say, yeah, I, I, I most want to be happy. I want contentment. And the story's told when, you know, John Lennon was five years old. His mother told him that happiness was the key to life. And so one day he went to school and they asked him, uh, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he wrote down, happy. And then they told him, they said, uh, you don't understand the assignment. And he said, well, you don't understand life. And whether John Lennon actually said that or not, I don't know. I wasn't there when he was five years old. But several people have, have made that comment over the years. You know, what do you want to be when, when you grow up? I want to be happy. And I think that's what we all want. We all want contentment. We all want satisfaction. We all want a full and meaningful life. At least I do. And maybe you do as well. And what was interesting is last weekend, we uh, set up a little photo opportunity on Glen Avenue right up the street here. And uh, many of you may know they block off that street and thousands of trick-or-treaters come down that street. And so we set up a little photo opportunity where families could get their picture made together. And while they're waiting in line to get their picture made, we asked them to fill out a little community survey. And one of the questions we asked them was, uh, how can we pray for you? And I flipped through all those surveys and I, I read through them all. And I, I realized that, you know, no one really came out and said, Would, will you pray for me that I will be happy or I will be content or satisfied? However, they did ask for prayer in mainly two areas. There were two prayer requests that were almost on every page. The first one was health, something to do with uh, just health in general. And the second one was wealth. Money. And so although, although the surveys did not come out and say, pray for me that I'll be happy, pray that I would be content and satisfied, what they asked for prayer for was the, that thing that they thought could get them to that place, right? Pray that I will have money so that I can be content and satisfied, right? That's why you ask for prayer for those things. You know, what you pray for, oftentimes, not all the time, but sometimes if you look at your prayer life, maybe uh, you're looking to those things that you're praying for, uh, for contentment in life. You're seeking to purchase contentment through those things, specifically, perhaps through money. And so that leads me to the question, what is the price of contentment? You know, where can you go to buy it? Where can you go to feast upon it, whatever that thing may be? so that my appetite will be quenched. 
Because I think we all have this appetite, this craving within to be satisfied, to experience a full and meaningful life. And as we've been walking through the book of Ecclesiastes, the writer or the preacher, they call him, has introduced us to this buffet. And on this buffet, as with any buffet, you have several dishes. And he's exposed us to several dishes that people go to and consume in order to try to find satisfaction. And in the passage we're going to look at this morning, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 8 through chapter 6, verse 12, he's going to focus on one of the most popular dishes on the buffet. This is, this is the area of the buffet where there's a line, you know. People are lined up for this one. And many of you may have experienced this one. That Maybe you're lined up for this one as well, thinking that if I can just fill my plate with this, I'm going to be satisfied. I'm going to have contentment. I'm going to have a full and meaningful life. And this one item is, is this. It is the idea or the belief that having, having more money will buy you contentment. Having more money will purchase you contentment. And you've all heard the saying, you know, money cannot buy you happiness. Right? We've all heard that? Yet at the same time, even though we've heard that, we still think, well, I'm going to try it out. <laughs> I'm going to see if that's really true. I'm going to seek to purchase happiness with money. And if I can just increase my income, then my life will be content. Well, this begs the question, you know, what, what can money buy? What can money bring with it? What does increased wealth bring with it? Well, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, the preacher shares his answers with us. As he's observing life, he's going to tell us, okay, here's, here's what's going on with people trying to seek contentment through wealth. And here's what happens. Here's what it brings with it. Verse 10, first, he says this. He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income, this also is vanity. And when he uses the term vanity there, he's talking about, uh, it's like a vapor. It's, it's fleeting, it's temporary, it doesn't sustain, it can't last. And so before the whole saying, you know, money can't buy you happiness was coined, uh, the preacher, the writer of Ecclesiastes several thousand years ago was telling us the same thing. You can't buy contentment. Money can't buy happiness. And what we're going to see, not only in this verse, but throughout the Bible, is that money's not the problem. Money's not the issue. It's, it's the love of money. It's thinking that I can purchase contentment through wealth. The preacher says in verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied. And then the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, he says this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. And so we don't see here that he didn't say money is the root of all evil. He says the love of money. In other words, thinking that satisfaction, life can be found or bought with money or increased wealth is the problem. And the preacher tells us that, you know, money can't afford contentment. In other words, the price of contentment, the price tag on contentment, does not have a dollar sign on it. And second, he tells us that money 
can buy certain things. It can't buy contentment, but it, it can buy certain things. And one of the things money can buy is greater responsibility or additional responsibility. Look at verse 11. He says, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? And so what he's saying is, as your wealth increases, responsibility increases. Because think about this, say you have a business, and your business grows, it becomes prosperous. Well, what you need to do then is probably hire more people. You have more customers, more product, and so that increases your responsibility. And more people become part of your business and partakers of the wealth that you've created. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, we want to see economic growth, for example, in our country. We want businesses to do well. We want jobs to be uh, uh, created and uh, applied for and pursued and people to be working and provide for their families. Those are all good things. And what he's saying here is what I see is as you increase in wealth, you increase in responsibility, whether it's in a business kind of format where you have employees or even in a family. I mean, think about this. When you see the, the prize fighter step into the ring, does he step into the ring by himself? Or if he wins the match, he wins the boxing round, he wins the boxing uh, event, does he just stay in the, in the ring by himself? No. You have like 50 people getting in the ring with him. And it probably was not the same 50 that got into the ring when he was 12 boxing, right? Because the idea is with much wealth brings more people, more responsibility, more of a challenge. And what's interesting is that what the preacher's saying is, if you think you can buy contentment and so you increase your wealth, what you actually do is increase your discontentment. Look what he says in verse 12. He says, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. In other words, you have somebody over here working for minimum wage, barely getting by. They come home, they work, they work hard, they come home, they may eat just a little bit, but they sleep well. They don't have all the cares and concerns of managing a huge business, all these employees. People just working for them, managing their wealth, trying to avoid losing it all. He's saying, you know, someone like that who's not trying to find their contentment in their wealth sleeps well. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. In other words, the rich person can eat whatever he wants and get his feel or her feel, but that doesn't guarantee sleep. In other words, that doesn't guarantee contentment. And so the point is, Contentment, which, by the way, is often accompanied by good sleep, cannot be purchased, cannot be bought. Just think of it like this. You're thinking that you can buy contentment. If I can just make this much money, I'm going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be content. Having that mindset is like saying or believing that, okay, I'm dying of thirst over here. And if I could just drink enough of this salt water, it'll quench my thirst. Which when you think about it, you know, salt, salt water is water. So it seems like if you, if you were thirsty, you could drink it and it would, it would help. But actually, it harms you because when you take in all of that salt, it requires more water to 
flush all that salt out of your body. And so by drinking the salt water, what you're actually doing is causing yourself to become even more dehydrated. So the very thing that you're, you're intaking, you're drinking, thinking that this is going to quench my thirst, is actually going to make you more thirsty. It's going to make you more dehydrated. And that's what the preacher's getting at here. That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is telling us. If you think that having more money will make you content, then what you'll find is more money will actually make you more discontent. Again, the problem's not with the money. Because you think about the scripture, several people that God used in a mighty way throughout history have been very wealthy people. The problem is not with the money, it's with the equation. And here's the equation that we tend to formulate in our minds. Discontentment plus more money equals contentment. That's the equation we usually are functioning off of. We think, okay, I'm discontent, I'm not happy, I'm not satisfied. Let me make more money and then I'll be content. And what the preacher's saying here in Ecclesiastes, this is the actual equation. Your discontent, discontentment, plus more money equals more discontentment. That's what he's trying to show us. If you love money, if you think money can bring it, bring contentment, then you're going to be disappointed and actually you're going to experience more discontentment. But again, the problem's not with the money, the problem is with us. Let's look at another few verses here in Ecclesiastes 6, verses 1 through 9. He says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes into darkness and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds its rest. It finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to the one place. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. So the preacher doubles down here, and he says, okay, not only does wealth not satisfy, but let's say you have 100 children, and you live for 2,000 years. He says, regardless, if you think that having these things are going to bring you satisfaction, it doesn't matter if you have 1,000 children, you have all the wealth that you think you need, and even you live this long, you still are not going to enjoy Life, You're still not going to be content. And notice the emphasis on the sovereignty of God in in verse 2. The preacher says that God gives wealth. In other words, wealth can be a a blessing. And God allows people to get wealthy. 
But at the same time, God does not give him power to enjoy it. And what I see here is that you know, God has booby-trapped wealth. It's, got a, it's booby-trapped. It's, you know, you, if you try to find in wealth what can be only found in God, it's booby-trapped to leave you disappointed. Now, wealth is to be enjoyed and used for great things. It can be a great thing. However, if we try to find contentment, it will leave us disappointed. So the question is, again, where, what is the price of contentment and where can we go to find it? You know, where can we go? What can we feast upon to satisfy this, this appetite, this craving? Well, the preacher tells us in Ecclesiastes 5, verses 18 through 20. This is what he says. He says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat, drink, and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toll. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. In summary, I believe the preacher is telling us here that contentment can only be found in a relationship with God. Not in your work, not in your wealth, not in these things but rather in a person, in God Himself. And it's God who's sovereign over our circumstances, and it's God who gives us the ability to be content. And the problem with wealth, and with these other things of the world, is that they're so fickle, you know. I mean, they're here for one minute, gone the next. Uh, you, you can't predict the future and how these things are going to work out. Um, they leave you wanting. They're like salt water that makes you even more thirsty, more dehydrated. And here's the problem. Contentment cannot be experienced and maintained if it is based on something that can be taken away. You see that? Contentment cannot be experienced and maintained if it is based on something that can be taken away. And that's his observation. All these things come and go. So how are you going to find contentment in these things that are here one minute, gone the next? Or you just don't ever have quite enough of this, whatever this thing is. Contentment can be experienced in God because of who God is. He's good. He's faithful. And this is why the Apostle Paul gives you an example of this in Philippians 4, 10 through 13. Listen to what he says in Philippians 4, verse 10. He's talking about how the, the Philippian church uh, has provided for his needs. You know, some of his uh, needs that he had, they, they sent him some money and, and helped address some of the needs that he had. And he said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm, I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now listen to this next verse. And just think about, when you, when you hear this verse, and many of you have heard this verse several times before, have you ever thought about this verse in the context 
of contentment. Verse 13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Meaning, Paul's contentment is not found in whether he has great wealth or whether he's in poverty. Circumstances are going well. Circumstances are a challenge. His contentment is found in in his relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Through Christ, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the secret of contentment. Why? Because in Christ, Paul's sin is forgiven. In Christ, Paul has eternal life. In Christ, Paul is a child of God. In Christ, Paul has the presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. In Christ, Paul has has drank the water that meets his deepest thirst, and he will never thirst again. You see, our, our souls are hungry and thirsty, and they are longing to be satisfied. I know mine is, and maybe yours is as well. You want to be content. You want to be happy. You want to be satisfied in life. And I think this craving, this appetite that we all have, I think this is one of the reasons why the psalmist, when he talks about how God is our portion, you know, our contentment comes from the Lord. This is why the psalmist writes these words. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Because he knows you have a craving, you have an appetite, I have an appetite that can only be quenched, satisfied in God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This is why when Jesus was tempted in the desert by Satan, and Satan tried to tempt him to fulfill a, a, an appetite, a desire he had, you know, to make bread, stone, bread out of a stone to satisfy his physical hunger. And Jesus said, man cannot live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. Why? Because Jesus recognizes we have something, we have a need much greater than bread. We have an appetite that bread can't touch. And the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, it's also an appetite that money can't touch. It's something deeper. And the only one that can satisfy it is God Himself. And this is why I think when Jesus was encountering that woman at the well in John 4, that's why He said, if you were to ask me for a drink, I would give you water. And when you drink this water, you will never thirst again. Because He's realizing, you have a much greater need than to just let down your bucket and bring up some H2O. Your soul thirsts for something more. That contentment, that satisfaction. And Jesus says it can only be found in Him. So the question is for you and for me. What is this equation okay, that we're living off of? Like I mentioned earlier, you have this one equation that says discontentment. If we're discontent, if we can just add money to it, then we'll equal, it'll equal contentment. I'll be content. And the preacher says, no, that's just a wrong equation. It's never going to work out. Whereas Jesus says, here's the, the right equation. Discontentment plus Christ equals contentment. And you notice money's not in the equation. Jesus is the focus of the equation. And so the question is for you and for me is this. Are you discontent? Now think about it. Are you discontent in your life? And if so, 
I have two things to share with you as to why that may be. Okay? First, if you are discontent, like I mentioned already, contentment will continue to elude you until you find your rest in God. And the only way we can find our rest in God and be placed in a right relationship with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. And this requires a decision. This, this requires you to willfully decide to turn your life over to Jesus Christ. Okay, that's, that's scenario number one. And that may be some of you in here that you may you know, recognize, you know what? I am pursuing all these different avenues for contentment and satisfaction, but I'm not pursuing Christ. My contentment is not flowing out of my relationship with God because I don't have a relationship with God. And maybe that's you. And you need to ask yourself, have I ever made that decision to give my life to Christ? And then the follow-up question to that would be, if you haven't, then what's keeping you from doing that? What's keeping you from Christ? And I want to encourage you, you know, to give your life to Christ today. You are made for God. And you will not be content until you find your rest in Him. Now, most of you in here, that's not true of you. You've, you are in Christ. And you may be saying, well, Ron, I'm in Christ and I'm still discontent. <laughs> is that possible? I would say absolutely it's possible. I mean, I experienced that personally. I'm sure you do as well. And there are times where I am just, I'm not content. And why is that? When discontentment seeps into your life, what's going on there? Now, this is key to remember if you're a Christian. This is, this is key. The Christian does not become content by doing or acquiring. Okay? If you're a Christian, you will not become content by doing or acquiring. But the way you enjoy and experience the contentment that is yours in Christ is by remembering. It's all throughout the Scripture. God's people are called to remember. Not do more. Not acquire more of this or that. Remember. So what do you need to remember? What do I need to remember? First, you need to remember who God is. You need to remember who He is. He's good. He's loving. He's compassionate. He's sovereign. He's in control. You need to remember that. You need to remember God's promises. That you are secure in Christ. That you are forgiven. That you are loved. That God will complete what He started in you. You need to remember that. And you need to remember the mission of God. That we are here to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We're here to see people come to know Him, grow in Him, be sent out for Him. We're here to to know God and enjoy God. And to make God known. That's that's why we're here. And so I think the secret to contentment for the Christian is not doing more things, requiring more wealth or whatever it may be, but rather it's to remember. Remember who God is. Remember His promises. Remember His mission. I know, at least in my own life, when I just stop to remember who God is, His promises, what He's done for me in Christ, what He's doing what He will do, that's when contentment begins to be experienced once again. Because contentment's yours. It's yours. 
It's just whether or not you want to experience contentment or not. And that's why Paul could say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because his contentment was found in Christ, not in the stock market, not in whether he's going to get this raise or not, you know, not in the checking account or whatever it may be. His contentment was found in Christ. Now I want to challenge you this morning to consider this prayer. And I want you to consider praying this prayer with me. I'm going to read the prayer to you first. This is the prayer. Father God, help me to find my contentment in you. Help me to see that my well-being is secure in your love. Help me not to seek my satisfaction in my wealth. But rather help me to experience the satisfaction that is available to me in knowing that in Christ I will forever be your child. So if that's the desire of your heart, if you believe that that can be your prayer this morning, I'm going to pray this prayer. And I encourage you just to silently to pray along with me. So let's, let's pray. Father God, help me to find my contentment in you. Help me to see that my well-being is secure in your love. Help me not to seek my satisfaction in my wealth. But rather help me to experience the satisfaction that is available to me. In knowing that in Christ I will forever be your child. Amen.